Shalom, and thank you for listening at BethEmmanuel.org. Your regular financial contributions make it possible for Beth Emanuel to make D. Thomas Lancaster's weekly sermons available online. We genuinely appreciate your support and hope that you are blessed by these teachings. Feel free to download these audio files and share them with your friends and family. Please consider joining Beth Emanuel's extended virtual family and support our efforts for the kingdom with a gift by clicking on the Donate tab at BethEmanuel.org. I read a parable this week that seemed apropos to the Torah portion, so I'd like to share it with you, and I'd like to share some of the random thoughts that it inspired. Here's the parable. Two brothers inherited land from their father, which was undeveloped and in need of cultivation. One of the brothers was wise and hardworking, The other was foolish. Neither of them possessed anything else except this stony tract of land which, in its current state, was suitable only for grazing a few sheep. But they did not have sheep or goats. They divided the land into two equal parcels. They realized that they could not expect to live off the land in its current condition, so they both took work as day laborers, working in other people's fields, to earn enough to live on from day to day. After work, toward evening, the wise brother would work for an hour or so on his own land with intensity and vigor, clearing it of stones, working the soil, and developing the property. When he accumulated enough savings from his daily wages to sustain him for a day or more, he would not work for others during that time, but would work in his own field with great energy and zest. He did not cease from this routine until his land was fully cultivated with a small orchard, a modest vineyard, and a field. At harvest time, he gathered in his fruit and crops. Presently, those small efforts accumulated to the point that he could survive off of the produce all of the following year without laboring in the fields of others. And this allowed him more time to work his land as he pleased. With an entire year of free time to develop his property, he planted more trees, fertilized the soil, installed irrigation, and significantly expanded his efforts. Soon, the land was producing more than an amount sufficient for his own livelihood. He sold the surplus and saved money until he could buy additional land, which he also cultivated and worked in like manner. The foolish brother, however, followed a different path. Realizing that if he worked his own land exclusively, he would not be able to support himself, he neglected it entirely. He hired himself out to others as a day laborer and lived off the wages he was paid, saving nothing. In his spare time at the end of the workday, he visited the bathhouse and caroused with his friends, If ever he had enough left over from his wages to provide him with means sufficient to take a day off from work, he would take a holiday to loaf around, seek amusement, drink alcohol, and indulge his fancies. He never gave a thought to developing his land. The piece of land he had inherited, meanwhile, remained desolate, produced nothing, and was quickly overgrown with thorns and thistles until it was no longer even suitable for grazing. Its stone fence collapsed, and floodwaters eroded the soil. Even the few trees that once grew upon it 
were swept away, and the wind and rains carried away what remained of the topsoil until only stones remained. Rabbi Bacha tells this parable in Chavot Levavot to illustrate the meaning of King Solomon's words, I passed by the field of the sluggard and by the vineyard of the man lacking sense, and behold, it was completely overgrown with thistles, its surface was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. When I saw this, I reflected upon it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, then your poverty will come as a robber and your want like an armed man. Proverbs 24, 30-34. This parable seems apropos to our Torah portion, which is concerned with the cultivation of the land and the possibility that a landowner might fall into poverty. Parshat Behar is rich with ideas, spiritual concepts, and godly principles. One who works in the fields of Parshat Bahar studying the laws of Leviticus 25 will find the laws of the seventh year, the jubilee, and the concept of redemption spelled out in clear terms. It's the foundational text for the redemption, the shofar of Messiah, the ingathering, and the redemption of the land of Israel. In this Torah portion, we learn that the land of Israel does not belong to the Jewish people as we might have supposed, although it is the ancestral inheritance vouchsafed to Israel by God's promise and allotted to the tribes of the sons of Jacob, the land nevertheless belongs to God. The Jewish people are to dwell upon his land as sojourners, laborers, and sharecroppers. Having spent most of the last month since Passover traversing the land of Israel, from the Negev to Judea to the Galilee, I have the vision of the land fresh in my mind. God has been merciful and watered his land abundantly. The long drought is over. We feared that perhaps Lake Galilee would never recover and that the natural springs of the land might cease to flow. The waters were already low, far beyond their normal levels, when the land underwent five years of drought, perhaps more. It seemed that, no matter how hard we beat the Hoshana willows on the floor of the synagogue every Hoshana Rabbah, the skies over the land of Israel were of brass, and the rains did not come in sufficient strength. But now, after only two winters of abundant waters, I can report to you, Lake Galilee is as full as I have ever seen it, back to its full strength. I was on its shores for Dagba Omer. The great springs of Tabga gushed forth like a waterfall, like the water from the rock that followed them in the wilderness. The waters of the Jordan flow with strength, and all the land of Israel is green, lush, and verdant. During these days of the Omer, I walked in golden wheat fields, under setting sun, and rubbed the ripening heads of grain between my hands to husk them and eat the kernels in the manner of a true disciple of our master, albeit not on the Sabbath. And the harvest is plenteous this year, despite the Shemitah. In the holy city of Jerusalem, the fragrance of blossoms perfumes all the air, and the voice of not one turtle dove is heard, but rather a chorus of turtle doves raising their songs every morning in harmony with other songbirds. I walked the cultivated fields and orchards of a Galilean kibbutz, and in the lowlands and the Negev, I stood among herds and flocks of goats led by Bedouin shepherds, as if walking among Abraham's servants while they led his flocks. 
The goats carried heavy udders and the sheep waddled fat from abundant grazing. As David says in Psalm 65, You visit the earth and cause it to overflow. You greatly enrich it. The stream of God is full of water. You prepare their grain, and for thus you prepare the earth. You water its furrows abundantly. You settle its ridges. You soften it with showers. You bless it with growth. You have crowned the year with your bounty, and your paths drip with fatness. The pastures of the wilderness drip, and all the hills gird themselves with rejoicing. The meadows are clothed with flocks, and the valleys are covered with grain. They shout for joy. Yes, they sing. Even in desert places, once covered by the saline waters of the Dead Sea, I saw mature stands of date pines, cultivated orchards, as Isaiah says, The wilderness and the desert will be glad, and the arava will rejoice and blossom, like the crocus it will blossom profusely and rejoice with rejoicing and shout of joy. All of this abundance I have beheld. Thus I bring you a good report— The land is very, very good, exceedingly good. It flows with milk and honey. Let me not be numbered among the ten evil spies who brought a bad report. Yet for all that bounty and all the holiness of those stones whose voices cry out to testify to the truth of Hashem, I am grateful to be home at Beth Emanuel in beautiful, historic Hudson, Wisconsin, where all the women are strong, all the men are good-looking, and all the children are above average. The land of Israel is truly a land of abundance. Still, the Torah portion today brings with it a warning. It says, If a fellow countryman of yours becomes so poor, he has to sell part of his property. And it says, in case a countryman of yours becomes poor and his means with regard to you falter. The Torah speaks of various situations and circumstances which might lead a person into poverty, God forbid, to the extent that he must sell his property and even sell himself to pay his debts. One need not be a prophet nor the son of a prophet to see that, economically speaking, we are sailing into troubled waters, not just in America, but internationally as well. The two-year pandemic, the travail of the birth pangs, the extreme weather, the locust plagues of Africa, wars and famines in various places, the unprecedented government stimulus spending during the pandemic, the war in Ukraine, the economic war between the West and Russia-China, world food shortages, skyrocketing energy and fuel prices, general inflation, broken supply chains, collapsing stock market wealth, uncertainty over America's political stability, All these things combine to indicate the likelihood of national and international financial trials ahead. When these things befall us, and they have already begun, upon whom shall we rely? Only upon our Father in heaven. In such circumstances, if the economy buckles beneath our feet, then we are more apt to remember the one on whom we rely. God is our provider and sustainer. We dwell on the land only as sojourners, temporary residents, sharecroppers on planet Earth, and we depend upon Him for our daily allotment. 
We are here today and gone tomorrow. Like the grass and like the grass of the field, we depend upon our Father in heaven to clothe us. And clothe us he will, such that Solomon in all his splendor cannot compare, if only we will rely upon him. Under such circumstances, we remember to be grateful for what we have. If we have bread for the table today, it is sufficient. Our sages say that one who has bread today yet says, What shall I eat tomorrow? is a person of little faith. Our master likewise teaches us not to worry about tomorrow. Sufficient is the trouble of today. But the wealth and success we enjoy today may indeed be fleeting. It's not normal for human beings to live under the general prosperity enjoyed by those of us in this modern era of the developed world. It's an anomaly in the human experience, a brief day of fatness after thousands of lean years of human history. The world today is on the edge of panic over the collapse of its economies. But true disciples of Yeshua will be utterly unfazed because our Master has already taught us, Seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. He says, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. If we have the kingdom, we are kings and queens already. His financial advice sounds counterintuitive. He says, sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts which do not wear out. An unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This advice sounds counterintuitive, especially if we face future economic troubles. When people face financial difficulties, the natural tendency is to give less generously, to look first to one's own needs, and if there is left over, perhaps to share with others. But Yeshua advises us to invest in unfailing treasure in heaven by giving even more generously to others in need. This is in keeping with what the Torah says. Now, in case a countryman of yours becomes poor and his means with regard to you falter, then you are to sustain him like a stranger or a sojourner, that he may live with you. Leviticus 25.35 The Torah is not exactly recommending a free handout. The Torah tells us to sustain the poor person as if he was a stranger or a sojourner. The stranger or a sojourner refers to a person without land, It's the Gentile that lives among the people of Israel in the land of Israel. He has no inheritance in the land, so he must make his living working for others as a day laborer. In other words, the mitzvah here is to provide the poor person with work and with opportunities to sustain himself. The rule of the apostles precludes giving charity to a mooch. The apostles say, if a man does not work, he shall not eat. Likewise, the Didache instructs us to give charity wisely. In the economy of the ancient world, in extreme circumstances, a person might fall into so much debt that he must sell himself to his lender. Imagine being sold as a slave to your credit card company to repay your unpaid balance. Perhaps that's why they call it Master Card. The Torah portion warns against charging interest. It's forbidden for Jewish people to lend to each other at interest. The other side of this principle teaches us that God is against debt. We should not be quick to plunge ourselves into a pile of debt, into loans and credit lines. Why? 
because a person belongs to the lender. If I owe the bank money, I must pay the bank, I must work for the bank, and I am in essence a slave to the bank until the debt is paid. But I'm supposed to belong to God. And Yeshua says, no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. That's not to say that debt is a sin or that it's forbidden to take a loan or any such thing. But the people of God should not live like the rest of the world, saddled under enormous debts. It would be better for us to live without than to live as debtors. As Paul says, You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. It would be hypocritical of me to give you financial advice. I do not pretend to be a source of financial wisdom. I don't pay attention to money like I should. I'm careless with it. I have little in the way of savings and nothing in the way of investments. I can't even claim to own property because the bank actually owns it. They let me live in my house so long as I make monthly payments to them. I'm more like a renter. I don't claim to have made wise investments or good financial decisions during my life. Instead, everything good that has come to me has simply been by God's grace, provision, and sustenance. He has sustained me and my family with miracles my whole married life. So I can't give you any financial advice except, perhaps, don't be like me. Be smarter than me. We should be wise as serpents and innocent as doves with our money, not careless and not squandering it. There is a tendency in some religious communities to use Torah study and religious duties as an excuse to shirk responsibility to provide for one's own needs and one's own family. That should not be the case among disciples of our Master. Yeshua worked with his own hands as a carpenter. His disciples cast nets. Paul made tents and provided for his own needs with his own hands. John stoked wood into a bathhouse furnace in Ephesus. The sages say, Torah without an occupation leads to sin. It also leads to poverty. The sages say, Don't use the Torah as a spade. Neither should it be used in the place of a spade. Rather, a spade should be used as a spade, and our hands should not be considered too holy to use a spade. The apostles say, if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Again, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and to attend to your own business and work with your hands, just as we commanded you. 1 Timothy 5.8 and 1 Thessalonians 4.11 God's people should be successful in their endeavors, like Abraham who grew so wealthy that the land could not sustain his flocks and Lot's flocks. Like Isaac who planted fields that yielded a hundredfold. Like Jacob who crossed the brook with only his staff and twenty years later returned with two camps, flocks, herds, wealth, wives, and children. We should be like Joseph, who prospered in every situation and prospered those around him, whether as a slave, a prisoner, or the governor of Egypt. We should be like Solomon, under whose rule gold was as common as silver and silver as common as copper. We should ask ourselves, what must I do to improve my lot, to improve my situation? And then take those steps, make those efforts, acquire what education is necessary, learn what skills we need, invest in what tools we need, and do our best to prosper materially and financially under God's blessing. There is nothing better for a person in life than this, to enjoy his work, for this is his lot in life all his days under the sun.
And the best investment we can make will always be the kingdom and the world to come. The wise brother in the parable reminds me of my father. My father's mother was a Swede, a first-generation immigrant from Sweden, part of a wave of Swedish immigrants who settled in northern Minnesota where land was cheap because it was wild, open, and uncultivated and beset with long, cold winters. My grandfather and grandmother brought a scrap of property like that and poured themselves into it. They cleared the land and did their best to eke out a living. My grandfather died young, leaving my grandmother with two boys who grew up working hard to make a farm. And they did. My father took those lessons with him in life. Everywhere he lived, he left it in better condition than he found it. Even as a renter, he improved the properties where my family lived, cleaned them up, developed the grounds, planted gardens, made repairs and improvements. All his life he worked hard and did not cease from working until he fell into bed at night. When I was a boy, I think he worked 60-hour weeks at the newspaper office and in his spare time planted a garden, canned his own vegetables, cut and split his own firewood for the stove, and of course carried on a preaching ministry and radio show on weekends. He didn't waste much time on entertainments. If Facebook or social media or internet streaming or handheld devices had existed in his day, he wouldn't have been wasting time on them either, I'm certain. If he made extra money, he didn't spend it on eating out or expensive treats. We didn't have the latest fashions. We ate what our mother cooked, and we wore the clothes handed down to us from older siblings. We lived austerely, but we never felt poor. We traveled a lot, but we rarely stayed a night in a hotel or motel. We stayed with friends, relatives, or camped in tents. We weren't poor. It's just that my parents were from that generation that had indeed known poverty and scarcity. They saved their money. They gave generously to the kingdom, supported numerous missionaries, supported the churches they labored in, and gave to dozens of worthy causes. My dad was the wise son of Rabbi Bachia's parable. You might think that the message of the parable is simply, work hard, live frugally, invest in the future. If we learn nothing else from the parable, that would be a good message. It's not wrong. But there's a larger point to the parable. Rabbi Bachia tells us this parable to teach us to invest our resources in the pursuit of Hashem, in the kingdom of heaven, and in the world to come. The parable acknowledges that it's not possible to spend all of your time in Torah study, prayer, good deeds, and mitzvot. Neither is it possible to spend all of your money on charity. We have to work. We have to make a living. We have bills to pay. We have debts to repay. We have groceries to buy. The real question is, what do we do with the rest? What do we do with the few hours we have at the end of the day? What do we do with the little bit of extra money we accrue? The temptation is to act as the foolish son. If there's free time, take it easy. Read a book or watch a show. Play some video games. Relax. Enjoy yourself. If there's extra money, buy some treats, get some new toys, go out to eat, get some new clothes. Nothing wrong with any of that. But that's not how you get ahead financially, and it's not how you get ahead spiritually. Every human being born into this world has received an inheritance of one uncultivated field. The uncultivated field is your lifetime. You have only so much available time and resource to develop it, improve it, and make it into something of value. It's far easier, of course, to just neglect it, take it for granted, and let it lie fallow. 
It's a lot of work to improve yourself. It's a lot of work to make something better than it was when you found it. It doesn't happen all at once. Instead, it takes a consistent effort, a little bit here, a little bit there, a little progress today, a little progress tomorrow. A day off is a chance to do more, not less, in the labor of the kingdom. If we have some free time, that's time that can either be squandered on self-indulgences, relaxation, entertainments, electronic distractions, games, and folly, or it can be spent in pursuit of godliness, Bible study, in Torah, in prayer, in acts of kindness, in mitzvot, in discipleship. If we have some extra money, that's money that can be spent on ourselves for more self-indulgences, or it can be invested in charity, in gifts of kindness, in support of ministries, in support of the synagogue and thereby invested in the kingdom and the world to come. The point is that if we make the effort to use our resources wisely, every day and at every opportunity, it eventually pays off. But if we let ourselves slide and always take the easy path, then we lose even the little bit that we had. By the end of the parable, the field that belonged to the foolish man is not even the same field he started out with. Because it's been neglected, it's lost whatever little value it initially had. The same is true with all that Hashem entrusts to us. My wife likes to say, use it or lose it. Yeshua says, for to everyone who has, more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Perhaps there are some lean times ahead. That's not all bad. But whatever the future has in store for us, let's be the wise son in the parable, working hard and investing our efforts, not wasting our days and resources. Likewise, let's be among those who have laid up wealth where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal and where economic collapse cannot diminish. At the end of our lives, we will present to Hashem this parcel of land with which we have been entrusted, It will either be better than it was when he gave it to us, improved and cultivated and bearing fruit, or worse than it was when he gave it to us, neglected and desolate. But it won't be the same as it was when he gave it to us. May we endeavor to be among those who hear Yeshua say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Now enter into the joy of your master. Take on my yoke and learn from me and find rest for your soul